got your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. In our series, we're trying to take you through the progressive revelation of the Bible to show you that Jesus is the refuge for the nations. But that didn't start with the Great Commission. It started all the way back. So let's do a little review. You got your place there in the Bible. Let's look at your notes and just see if, uh, see if you can fill in these blanks. And if you can't, you can help one another. We said that God's heart for the nations is revealed in His plan for creation and His promise of redemption. The place to see God's heart is to start in Genesis 1, 26 through 28. God's plan for creation. Do you remember what it is? Three Ps. God's plan for creation. His presence. Ruling with His people over His place. So what are the three components? God's presence, God's people, and God's place. You've got to get that in. That is that is God's heart for His creation. That's the plan. Then, when that creation rebelled, and when His image bearer said, No, we don't want you ruling over us, God's promise of redemption came in. And it's, it's really focused in Genesis 3, 15. And God's promise of redemption, you can say it many ways. I just chose to say it this way. God's rule with His people, in His place, will be restored. It will be restored by the promised head crusher who will overcome the heel biter. Okay, that's Genesis 3.15. And yet, this promise that the woman's seed would be a head crusher and overcome the heel biter, the first, uh, the first woman or the first uh, child that Eve has is a, is, is a, is a, they name him Cain. And what does he do in Genesis 4? Promised seed of the woman, the very first son, murders his younger brother. This is not going well, right? We're not head crushing here. We're murdering our sibling, right? So, that leads us into God's hope for the nations. We saw that last week. God's hope for the nations is revealed at the end of His rainbow. And we studied the story of redemption from Genesis 4 to 11, and we saw that the Noahic covenant, and it's just called that because they turn His name into a verb, I mean, adjective, the Noahic covenant, covenant with Noah, is a covenant with creation. And here's what happens. The Creator God unconditionally promises to be faithful to His creation on the basis of common grace. He promises to be faithful to His unfaithful creation. We saw that all they're doing is spreading, growing, alienation becomes corruption, corruption becomes a global revolution, and God looks on it and He shows grace to one man and his family, Noah, and He says, look, I'm going to be faithful to this creation no matter how sinful they become. They cannot stop my plan. Satan can't stop it. Sin can't hinder it. And so he makes a covenant with not just Noah, but all of creation. And it has no conditions whatsoever. No one has to do anything. 
In fact, he doesn't want them to keep sinning. And in fact, Noah does sin, you know, right after this. But the reality is, God says, look, my plan is going to happen. I'm going to be faithful. And he just shows common grace. And the common grace is there will be seasons and rain. Jesus said rain comes on the, on the godly and the ungodly. Life. God sustains life even for rebel sinners. And we said the sign of that covenant was the upside-down bow. That God isn't going to destroy His creation. He promises, I will not destroy my creation again. And so He turns the bow and arrow, the bow, upside-down in the rainbow. Now, in this process, we saw that there's this pattern. And the pattern is this. Sin, we sin, and then there is judgment, right, from God. And then He shows grace. And that was the pattern all the way through Genesis 4 through 11. And even in, uh, in the flood, there was this gracious... God is gracious to offer hope for the languages He confused and the nations He scattered. So He judged them. They, they have this global revolution of building the Tower of Babel, or the Tower, a city and a tower to make a name for themselves and to build a tower up to heaven to de basically declare war on God. God comes down and confuses their languages so they can't cooperate. And he scatters them so they can't work together in judgment. But actually, even in that judgment, there was some grace mixed in. And we see that, that on the day that the church was born in Acts chapter 2, God reverses the confusion of the languages and the scattering of the nations. So turn your Bible, keep your hand there in Genesis 12, but turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, because I do want you to see how... In scattering and confusing, that was judgment, but it was for a gracious purpose. Because God knows one day, through the promised seed of Christ, He's going to bring the nations back together through the gospel. And I just think this is amazing. I always get a, the biggest kick out of reading this. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 4. This is the day the church was born. The Spirit comes down, gives birth to the church. Christ's followers that were praying there and waiting for the gift of the Spirit. Look at verse 4. And they were all filled and began to speak with other tongues. Now, that's uh, not the best of translations. The word literally means languages. And we get tongues in there and we start thinking weird thoughts. It's just other languages. As the Spirit was giving them utterance or the ability to speak. Now look at verse 5. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men, and there's our nations, from every nation under heaven. God has a heart for the nations. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and they were be bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished. And look at what they say. Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? In other words, these guys are from Galilee. They shouldn't know these languages. They shouldn't have this ability. And look at verse 8. And how is it 
that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born. There's the idea of heart language. We heard, we're hearing the praises of God, the proclamation of Christ in the language that we were born with. And then here's the nations, Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia. By the way, that was where the Tower of Babel is. Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own languages speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they were all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? Well, here's what it means. God's plan of creation is being fulfilled through the promise of redemption, and He is reversing the judgment on the day of Babel. And so Peter gets up in verse 14 and begins to preach, and at the end of his preaching, verse 36, drop down to verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, that is Christ, Jesus, both Lord, King over all things, and Christ, the promised Messiah. He is both the Lord of the nations and the promised seed, the head crusher promised to Israel that we're going to see today. Whom you... This Jesus whom you crucified. In verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, that is, among the nations, as many as our Lord will call to Himself. We're going to see the significance of that in a moment. And with many other words, He solemnly testified and He kept on exhorting. Hey, just because God is, is the, uh, has sovereign grace and salvation doesn't mean we don't have a human responsibility to exhort, beg, urge, encourage, and people have a responsibility to respond. Now notice, so then... As those who had, um, and he exhorted them, verse 41, So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. In other words, the nations are all gathered into the church. So the languages are no longer confused. The nations are no longer scattered. What a beautiful picture of what God intended all along. And so we see every nation represented. They hear their own heart language. They're gathered as one people. But here's what I want you to see. Even though there's sin at the Tower of Babel, we saw that, the judgment, scattering and gathering, and yes, there's grace even in that judgment, but I would say to you, we haven't seen the pattern yet of how is God's grace going to follow in that judgment. And the reason we haven't seen it yet is because it comes in, in Genesis chapter 2 with the... So that's what we want to look at today. We want to see that how will the plan of redemption be fulfilled. I mean, these guys are rebelling. Their languages are confused. They're scattered around the world. How is God going to fulfill His promise? It just seemed like the likelihood is very good.
And so here's what we're going to see. And we've actually already seen it. Look, look at Genesis 9.26. Turn back to, to Genesis. God has already hinted at that the blessing is going to somehow come through Noah's son, Shem. So look at Genesis 9.6. Noah had already blessed him and, and, and predicted. 9.6, notice, or I'm sorry, not 9.6, 9.26. Look at 9.26. And look at what he says. And he, meaning Noah, also said, Blessed be the Lord, Yahweh, the redemption name of God. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. The God of Shem. And so he's hinting that through the line of Shem, somehow the promise of redemption comes. And then go to uh, Genesis 11. And uh, look at 11.10, right after the confusing and the scattering, here comes the grace of God, and it's going to come, the, look at verse 10 of chapter 11, these are the records of the generations of Shem. Shem, blessed be the Lord God of Shem. It's going to be through them. But notice where that line ends, verse 26. We won't read all that genealogy. 26, Terah lived 70 years and became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And it's going to be through his firstborn, Abraham. It's going to be through Abraham that's going to come this promise. So here's what I want you to see. Notice in your notes, God's blessings for the nations are revealed in his covenant with Abraham. And here's what we're going to see. So if you don't get anything else, from today's lesson, get this, the Abrahamic covenant with Israel, which we'll see in a moment. Here's the significance. The Redeemer God unconditionally promises to fulfill His redemption promise on the basis of saving grace. So the covenant with Abraham is very different than the covenant with Noah. The covenant with Noah was with all creation it was unconditional. There was nothing required, but it was God being faithful due to common grace that's given to everyone, even animals. Okay, But with Abraham, he's unconditionally, he's making another unconditional covenant, but this time the promise is to fulfill his redemption promise on the basis of saving grace. And that is, not ava- that is not given to all. It's offered to all, but it is not received. It's certainly only for humans to respond to. So here's what I want you to see. The living God is a missionary God, promises blessings for all the nations through Abraham. Genesis 12, 1 through 3 is going to remind us that God has blessings for all the rebellious nations, but they're going to come through the person and the seed and the covenant with Abraham. Well, let's look at it. Genesis, uh, let's look at it. Let's, let's begin verse 27 of, of chapter 11. Now, these are the records of the generations of Terah. This is Abraham's dad. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. 
And Haran became the father of Lot. He's going to play a big part in the future story. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldeans. That's a big deal. Abraham's family, Abraham's family was born right in the, in the, in the neighborhood of the Tower of Babel. Right there in the area of the line of Cain and the rebellion and the rejection of God. And it says in verse 29, Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Sarai, and this is going to be important, verse 30, Sarai was barren, she had no child. Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went out together from the Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran, they didn't make it all the way there, and they settled there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. And so they're making their way to Canaan, but we don't know why until we come to Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And here's what happened. Here's why the family was on the move. Uh, Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. Now here it is. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God has blessings for the nations. God has blessings for all the nations. Wow. Okay, so here's what I want to do today. I want to show you three reasons or three ways that God's blessings for the nations are revealed through the Abrahamic covenant. Three ways it's revealed. So let's let's dive into it. It'll come together as we look at it. The blessings for the nations are revealed, first of all, in why the Lord picked Abraham in the first place. Why did the Lord pick Abraham to be the father of Israel and a blessing to the nations? Now, here's what you got to see. Because we have a tendency to think people deserve God's blessing. That than her, and I've worked harder than him, and I'm more yielded to God, therefore I get the blessing. But the reality is, is we're going to find that, as one person said, how odd of God to choose the Jews. Have you ever heard that saying? How odd of God to choose the Jews. That's kind of what we're talking about. Why did God choose the Jews? That saying was started by a man named William Norman Ewer. He, uh, in, in the 1800s, early 1900s, late 1800s, early 1900s. He was a British journalist remembered for making these little witty sayings. 
and uh, he was a prominent writer for the London Daily, and he has history has shown he was also a spy for the Soviets, so this wasn't a good guy. Uh, but he's the one who came up with this little epigram, this witty-ditty, how odd of God to choose the Jews. Now, that's often taken as anti-Semitic, and rightly so, but uh, you could get away with things like that in, in, in those days. But people responded to it, and they said, uh, as one Jewish person said, how odd of God to choose the Jews, not odd of God, goyim, annoyim. Goyim mean the Hebrew word for Gentiles. So it's not odd of God to choose the Jews because Gentiles irritate him. I thought that was funny. Someone else said, no, here's how this needs to go. How odd of God to choose the Jews, but not so odd as those who choose a Jewish God yet spurn the Jews. That's a good comeback. In other words, you know, it's very, it, it is so... disgusting for Christians to be anti-Semitic. And yet that's often is the case. And yet our Savior is Jewish. Another one this little saying, how odd of God to choose the Jews, not odd of God, his son was one. Which I thought was good. Another one said, the Jews chose God. Or someone else said, not odd, you sod, the, Jew, the Jews chose God. And then finally, rate you with this anymore. How odd of God to choose the Jews, how strange of man to change the plan. So these are, oh, what, what, what's going on? People recognize that the Jewish people, at least claim to be, and people recognize to be God's chosen people. Odd of God to choose why did God choose them? And the Bible reveals one answer over and over and over, and it's this. Grace. God's amazing grace. God's undeserving grace. Grace and nothing but grace is why God picked Abraham. And you need to get that firmly in your heart. So let's look at this. Glory of God saving grace. We don't have to wonder why God chose Abraham. The Bible tells us. So turn your to Joshua. Well, first of all, uh, Genesis 15, 7. Well, uh, let's stop. Let's, uh, Genesis 21. Now the Lord said to Abram. Okay, sorry about that. Genesis 12, 1. I'm just trying to get progressive. I got about 20 yeah, I got uh, all these covenants and God reigning and Jesus coming. I mean, a lot going on today. Genesis 12.1. God speaks first. And that's not God speaking, whatever that's coming from. That's not how he spoke. Oh, so in Genesis 12.1, Abraham didn't say, Hey, I want you to bless me. God speaks to him. That's Genesis 12.1. Uh, and turn to Genesis 15.7. Turn to Genesis 15.7. And notice the Lord is again speaking to Abraham. And notice he's looking back on this. And look at what he says. And he, the Lord, said to him, Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land. To I took, I spoke to you. And I took you out of the earth 
the Chaldeans. Now, why is that important? Now turn to Joshua 24. Now turn to Joshua 24, verses 2 through 3, and we're going to find why this is important. Joshua 24, verses 2 through 3. Notice what he says. The Lord said, look, I am. I have spoken and I have taken you. That's grace. But look at Joshua 24, verses 2 through 3. Joshua is now speaking to the children of Israel, and he said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, From ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river, that is, on the other side of the promised land, outside of the promised land, namely, it says, Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, and look at the next phrase, and they served other gods. They served other gods. God's. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac, though he was 99 years old and Sarah was barren and it was an impossibility. But what's impossible for man is possible for God. Isn't that amazing? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, you guys were living in Tower of Babel country. You guys were the, t- the tower builders. You were pagans worshiping false gods. And in the midst of the unbelief of this family, including Abram, God spoke one day in His grace and said, I'm going to choose you to be the father of Israel and a blessing to the nations. Is that just amazing? And we're not we're not told, you know, how that all, you know, how many he spoke to him. We're not we're not given that. We we find that out in Joshua, but it's not just in Joshua. But but first I want you to see he is a sinful, you know, let's use all the religious words. He's a heathen, he's a pagan, he's an unbeliever. He he's got the heart of a tower builder. Let's make a name for our Let's build a tower. And he's living in this civilization that is very advanced and very wealthy. In other words, he's got his best life now. It's secular. It's idolatrous. It's unbelieving. And things are good. And then God's grace comes. Well, let's look. There's another reference to this. Turn to Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8. Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8. Here we have Moses speaking again to the people of God. Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8. I'll give you time to make it there. I want you to see it in the Bible. So notice what it says. Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the people on the face of the earth. So he's saying, look, I, God in his grace has chosen you, Israel, to be his special people, to live in his special place with his special presence among you. But don't think you deserve it. Don't think you earned it. Notice what verse 7 says. The Lord did not set His love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of the other peoples. For 
you were the fewest of all the peoples. That was the crazy thing, is as the people of Israel were moving through the Canaan, uh, Canaan uh, and, and possessing the land, they were defeating armies and nations much, much bigger than they were. And so what he says, the Lord didn't choose you because you deserved it, because you were bigger or better than other nations, verse 8, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. You didn't deserve any of this. You were in bondage as slaves. You couldn't even free yourself. Are you hearing the gospel in this? Are you seeing your own condition? Beloved, if you're born again here this morning, it's not because you deserved it. It's not because I deserved it. I'm not here teaching because I deserved it. You're not here hearing God's blessed word taught because you deserved it. It's because God chose to unconditionally love you, choose you, call you, redeem you, and free you from your bondage to sin, Satan, and self. Can I get a response? Yeah, you can say, yay, God. You can say, go, God. You can do the... I don't care what you do. Let's, this, is a, this is God's grace. In fact, I would put forth to you that you could divide all of Genesis, the book of Genesis, you can divide it up this way. Creation, chapters 1 through 11, and then 12, what is it, 50? It's been a while since I've been there. You could summarize it as election, God's choice. That's the book of Genesis. Creation, election. And then you move into Exodus, and you could summarize Exodus, redemption of the elect. And then you could move to Leviticus, and you could write over it, sanctification of those who have been redeemed. And you can just move through the whole Bible that way. So why did God choose Abraham? It was due to his unconditional election through sovereign grace. Now you say, why unconditional election? Why did he do it that way? Now, the answer to that, why did God choose Abraham and why did he show his grace to him and not someone else is a part of the mystery of God's purposes that we're not. We're not, right? But we know from the Bible that we can say this. God did it that way so He alone would get the glory. And by Him getting the glory, why is that a good thing? Is God being selfish? No. Him getting the glory is not being selfish because He alone deserves the glory. Does this pagan, does Abraham as a, Abram as a pagan deserve any glory? No, he didn't deserve anything except wrath. So God gets all the glory because he's the only one that deserves the glory, but in him getting the glory, it's the greatest good and the joy and the fullest joy of his creation is when God is glorified by his creation. So Abraham's going to be blessed and his name is going to be made great because God's going to give him the grace to make God's name great. And when we make His name great, God returns the blessing, makes our name great, 
and He brings us joy. Do you have Do you have great joy deep in your heart? Did you have it last week? Are you in difficult circumstances and your your joy is being robbed from you? Get your focus on how God has shown His grace to you. Amen. How God so deservingly chose to love you and chose you and called you and you out of bondage through the gospel into his glorious presence. Well, ultimately we're talking about the mystery of God's sovereign election. And I have some passages there. I wish we had time. We're not going to read them. But if you, if you want to know about the mystery... These passages, Romans 9 and the passages I have there from Romans 11, uh, are the great passages. We did a whole series on Romans 9 through 11. It's, it can be downloaded from our website, uh, and all the notes are there and the messages are there. So you say, now why is there blessings for the nations in that? Because of this. If Abraham didn't uh, deserve it, Romans 9, Romans 11. Take a look. But here's what I want you to see. You say, okay, so God chose, uh, picked Abram by grace. Where is, the, where is the blessings for the nations in that? Well, it's simply this. Abraham didn't deserve it. And guess what? The nations don't deserve it. So that means there can be blessings for anyone. So turn to your neighbor and say, that means there can be blessings even for you. Oh, Gwen, my wife's so godly. She's so godly. There could be blessings for me. Oh, I thought you said me. Oh, okay, I thought you said me. I just cracked me up. All right. All right, all right, all right. So, here's the thing. Anybody. Why? Because no one's deserving. Isn't that? So, this is good news. And this is really good news because we're going to see that in choosing Abram and creating the Jewish people, His goal wasn't to exclude the Gentiles. It was to include the nations of the... So let's move to second reason that we can see. The second way the blessings for the nations are revealed is what the Lord promised to Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant. It's what He promised. Not only why He picked Him, but what He promised Him. Okay. Now remember, we have our definition of a covenant... A covenant is a promise between two parties that creates a special relationship that is usually confirmed by an oath and usually with a blood sacrifice and a sign to remember the binding commitment. And in this covenant with Abraham, we've got all of that. Okay, classic blood covenant. And so the first thing I want you to see is God's promise to Abraham reveals God's promise of redemption will fulfill... The plan for creation. The promise of redemption will fulfill the plan for creation. So let's go back to Genesis 12 and let's read it again. Genesis 12. And this time let's go through verses 1 through 8. Okay, so follow along in your Bibles. Now the Lord said to Abram, by grace, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land I will show you. So, so I, I have my Bible, I have land written to, in my margin. And I will make of you a great nation. And I have in my Bible written seed. 
And I will bless you and make your name great, so you shall be a blessing. I have out in my margin written, blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And I have out in my margin, nations. All the families of the earth. In other words, all those tower builders, those 70 nations in Genesis 10 will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. And I have in my margin written faith because grace creates faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God here, Abraham heard the promise and by grace he responded in faith. And, and it's a faith that obeys. And he went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. It's a faith that does not always obey perfectly. <laughs> he was supposed to leave Lot behind. He was supposed to go alone. So it's an imperfect faith, but it's faith nonetheless. And it's saving faith. Lot with Winnie. Now, Abram was 75 old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew. Again, he wasn't supposed to do that. And all their possessions, which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus, they came to the land of Canaan. And Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, so again, a gracious revelation of his promises, to you, to your descendants, seed, and I will give this land, land. And how did Abram respond? So he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord, and look at it, called on the name of the Lord. Where did we see it? We saw that last week. We saw that all the way back in Genesis 4. What is Abram doing? He is creating sacred space in sacred places, God's presence can rule with God's people, which right now is Him, in God's place. And He has an obedient faith, or a faith that reveals itself in obedient worship, and He calls on the name of the Lord. This pagan has now true worship and true faith. So let me show you a couple things here. First of all, there's three kinds of promises uh, delivered to Abraham. There is first the personal. There is promises uh, back in Genesis 1 through 3, personal for Abraham. I will bless you and make your name great. Secondly, there are national promises for Israel. I will make you into a great nation. National promises. And then thirdly, there are universal promises for all nations. In you, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So, isn't it cool? God's taking this one man, and this one man, who's too old to have children, his wife is barren, is going to become a mighty nation, and that mighty nation is going to become a blessing to all the nations. 
And notice the threefold promise. It's God's creation plan. Seed, God's people. There's going to be a land, God's place. And there's going to be a blessing. And I would put forth to you as you trace this through the Bible, the ultimate blessing is God's presence. Ruling with His people over His place. So do you see it? So you see, this is Genesis 1, 26 through 28. This is God's creation plan. He's restoring it, but he's going to start with this one guy who was a pagan, and he's going to show him grace, and he's going to give the promise of his word, and Abram's going to respond in faith with obedient worship, and the result's going to be a seed, a land, and a blessing. Now look at the next point. God's promise to Abraham is, oh, and by the way, that blessing of God's presence is not only going to be with Israel, but it's going to be with the nations. Okay? Through you, all the nations of the earth. Well, what, what, how are they going to be blessed? With God's presence. With God's presence. So God's purpose to Abraham is progressively revealed to be an unconditional covenant. Now, here's what you got to realize. All of this, this is just, it progresses. So, in Genesis 12, you got the promise. In Genesis 15, you get the covenant. You get the sign of the covenant. So obviously, we, we can't read all these chapters and take you through. But I want you to see that there's a progressive revelation where the promise becomes a covenant. Now, there's all sorts of covenants in the Bible, but this is a blood covenant. This is a blood covenant. So let's, let's read about it. Genesis 15, 1 through 21. Genesis 15, 1 through 21. Notice what it is. After these things, there's a whole lot of things that happen, but after these things, and basically it's the separation of Abram from Lot. Once there was full obedience, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Genesis 15, 1. Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. And your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I'm childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. He's not my son. He's my servant. Since you have given me no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir, a a servant. Verse 4, Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who shall come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside, and he said, Now look up towards the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be, multi- fruitful and multiply. Then, he, Verse 6, Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. You have faith. Saving faith. And then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. And he said, O Lord God, how may I know that I shall possess this? So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a a pigeon. And what he did was he cut the animals, not the birds. He cut the animals in half and placed half here and half here. And that's how you made a blood covenant. And then the people making the covenant would join hands together and walk between the divided animals. And in walking between them, they would be saying, may the same thing be done to me if I violate the covenant. 
But here's the wild thing in 15. God puts Abraham to sleep. And instead of them walking hand in hand through there, God Himself, through the, the imagery of a smoking furnace and a fiery light, He walks through it Himself, saying, I am the one that's going to make this an unconditional covenant. Abraham, I'm going to be faithful to you even if you're not faithful to me. That's pretty powerful stuff. So we see five characteristics of the covenant. First of all, it's a promise. That's Genesis 12. It's a promise. Land, seed, blessing. Secondly, it's unconditional. The Lord alone walks through it and makes the commitment. Number three, it's universal. He's blessed to be a blessing to all. And number four, it's a covenant with a sign. And we see that in Genesis 17. The sign's going to be circumcision. And number five, Abraham is the mediator even though ultimately the mediator will be the promised seed, Jesus Christ. So that brings me to the last point. And it's simply this. The blessing to the nations is seen in how the Lord progressively fulfills the Abrahamic covenant. And basically... You say, show me that. Okay, well, let's read Genesis all the way to Revelation, and I'll show you that. It's the rest of the Bible. In fact, I would tell you that you know what God is doing on planet Earth today? He's fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant. You know what next week is all about? It's about the blessings going to the nations by grace through faith in fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. So this is bigger you know, missions is not something we came up with. And it's not just something we do once a week or once a year for a week. It's what God is doing all across the nations through our missionary guests. Is that not cool? And God is taking the blessing of Abraham and spreading it to the nations, the Dominican Republic. AIDS orphans in South Africa. Arab students in the Middle East. He is taking that blessing of His presence, ruling with His people in His place. And in this age, that place is a local church gathered together. We are God's place of blessing. And you and I have been blessed to do what? To be a blessing to the nations. Isn't that good? I'm just giving you the big picture. So the progress of revelation in the Bible reveals this, as does the progress of fulfillment of all the covenants. Now, here's what I want to end with. Why is Jesus the refuge of all the nations? It's because God's blessings for the nations will come through the Son of God, Son of Adam, Son of Abraham, and ultimately Son of David, who is the promised seed of the woman who's going to be the head crusher and conquer the heel biter. It's through him the nations are going to be blessed. So look at the look at the last four points, and it's simply this: the blessings to the nations. Number one, only come through God's promised seed, and we know in Galatians four that that's Jesus Christ, a Jewish man, the Son of God. Secondly, blessings 
that are only received by grace alone through faith alone. But that's hope for anyone because it means it doesn't depend on you. It's not based on your worthiness. It's based on His grace. But you do need to respond like Abraham did. He responded by faith in God's Word. Third, blessings that are progressively revealed as the Lord fulfills the Abrahamic covenant through the other biblical covenants. We haven't even touched the, 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 the hem of the garment on this. And then four, blessings that will provide a refuge for people from every people group, every tribe, every nation, and every language. You say, but I want this to apply to me right now. You know, folks, sometimes we need to understand it isn't about us. It's about Him and getting His blessings to the nations. And sometimes we need to stop in the midst of our hard times and just realize, you know what? I am unworthy and I don't deserve all the blessings that God has poured on me. I don't deserve the grace of His Son and His salvation. I don't deserve the faith that He gave me to place my trust in Him. And what I need to do is be more grateful. I need to have more obedient worship and joy. And I need to get my eyes on people who don't know Him. And that's what next week's all about. It's about the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant by grace through faith. So, good stuff. There's blessings. You've been blessed to be a blessing. Let's go to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your grace to us. We are unworthy. We were blind and You gave us sight. We were deaf and You gave us hearing. We were lame and You have made us leap with joy. Father, let us remember that we have been blessed to be a blessing. Lord, next week, let's be a blessing. Next week, God, get our eyes on Jesus, the refuge for the nations. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.